This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. If you are planning on going to the U.S. this long weekend, listen up and make sure there is nothing in your bag to provoke U.S. customs. We all know that you can't take marijuana into the U.S., even though it's legal here and in a number of American states. But CBD oil? Who knew? CBD, of course, is the non-psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. It won't make you high, but it may help relieve your pain or help you sleep. A BC woman is just one of those facing a lifetime ban for trying to cross the border with a bottle of CBD oil. And there are all kinds of issues that could bring the same outcome. One of my nearest and dearest is under a lifetime ban for investing in a perfectly legal American cannabis company. And what about Canadians with ancient pot possession convictions? Uh, the government recently made it easier or said it was making it easier to get a pardon. Uh, what about you out there? Uh, are you able to get across now? I'd like to hear from you. 416 360 Toll-free 1-866-744-740. And right now, I am joined by Giddy Mammon, who is a lawyer and specialist in immigration law with Mammon, Sandaluck, and Kingwell. And Len Saunders, who is an immigration lawyer with an immigra- with the immigration law firm in Blaine, Washington. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Okay, let's start with Len in the United States. Uh, Give me an idea of how many Canadian clients you have with similar kinds of problems, please. Well, Canadian clients who've had issues at the border with regards to cannabis, it's hundreds. With regards to CBD oil, it's only recently, and I've had two almost identical cases within the last two weeks. Uh, so give me an idea of what uh, some of the issues are. I mean, is it, is it, you know, was it a straightforward matter of trying to cross the border with pot, or was it all these other things around it, CBD, investments, whatever it might be? Well, it, it has been. So in the past, it's been, you know, individuals who have admitted to smoking cannabis in the past, or people who have invested in the U.S. cannabis industry, um, or people who were caught with cannabis at a port of entry. But what these recent cases show is there's a whole wide variety of uh, upcoming issues when edibles and other kind of derivatives become legal in Canada and they're selling them, and people are going to unknowingly buy them and bring them to, to the U.S. like these two individuals did. Giddy Mammon, does this surprise you, CBD oil? Uh, not really. Uh, I would have advised any client who's thinking of uh, going across the border with any kind of cannabis derivative uh, to be very, very careful. And in this particular case, uh, first of all, you, you know that in the United States, uh, some forms of CBD oil containing less than 0.3% THC uh, has recently become acceptable. You can buy the stuff at a Walgreens. Uh, you know, there's lots of places where you can buy it now in the United States. The problem is that Canadians uh, don't understand that even if you're going from a place like British Columbia where it's legal 
and you're going to Washington State where it may be legal, you're crossing the very thin thread of federal jurisdiction as you cross the border. And, so, and this is not necessarily legal federally. It has to be under a very, very specific amount of THC uh, in order to be uh, considered uh, appropriate in, in the United States. Unfortunately, I think this particular woman who just recently tried to enter the States and was uh, denied entry believed that the, uh, the oil that she had complied with that. She was told that it does not, that it, that it's THC free. Uh, it appears that it was not. And now she has uh, one heck of a problem on her hands because she's going to need a waiver forever now. And uh, it's not a pleasant process at all. It's a very invasive process. Oh, when... Len Saunders, is is that the case? I mean, and and first of all, is there some kind of underlying political thing here? Because obviously it's not psychoactive, and you, you have to wonder why they would be spending their time stopping somebody with a little CBD oil when they should be looking for drugs and gangs and illegal guns and all that kind of stuff. Well, exactly. Well, to begin with, my colleague's explanation of the incident is exactly, the way he explained it is exactly what happened. I've met with her. She's retained me. We're applying for a waiver. The problem is she was caught up by these antiquated U.S. immigration laws. What they did was they tested the CBD oil, and there's trace amounts of THC. And that's why she was denied. And the problem is most people think, well, what's the big deal, right? There's a lot of other issues on the southern border that seem a lot more important. But all that the officers were doing was they were following the law. And they deemed her inadmissible because she had cannabis products which had THC in them. And, and it, it was a, probably a small amount. Um, it's, I don't know. I mean, for instance, I have received emails from American retailers touting, say, cosmetics with CBD. I've seen, again, from U.S. sources, recipes with CBD. It's, it's kind of the hottest thing, and these things, they don't, I'm not even sure they show the amount that is in there. So, I mean, could you be stopped for having some anti-wrinkle cream with CBD oil? Absolutely, and if they test it and find some THC in that oil or the lotion, then they could deem you inadmissible. Uh, again, it's staggering. You're saying they're just following the law, but it seems like, again, there's an agenda there. Giddy, do you have a view on that? I don't think there's an agenda. I think people say, well, it, I thought the law was okay with this. There are two types of laws. There is federal law and state law, and people cannot wrap their head around it. And I've always told my clients, when, when you think of immigration, you don't necessarily think logically. You have to think very sort of legislatively, very regulatory, uh, because a lot of it does not make sense. I, I think that somebody who's carrying CBD oil for medical purposes with around one-third of 1% 1 THC is not a real threat to the United States. But legally, it's caught by the, the U.S. war on drugs. And they're going to have to reconcile this and bring it up to date. But we Canadians cannot tell the United States what terms and conditions people may be admitted to the United States on. They can't tell us what to do, and we can't tell them what to do. I suspect it's going to take a little time. There is some very slow progress. Uh, and, and until that happens, Canadians are going to have to be very, very careful. The problem is that those, those Canadians who depend on this for medical reasons 
because it was prescribed by a doctor who would never do anything wrong, they assumed that they could just cross the border because they had some sort of bulletproof jacket from any kind of harm because they have a prescription. But that is not the case. They have to be very, very, very careful about carrying that stuff across. Just a minute. So, Len Saunders, some people think that if they have a prescription, can they bring this stuff across? Absolutely. Like, people don't understand that it's still a controlled substance regardless of how they obtained it. So, wait a minute. What I'm saying, if you have a prescription that you can show the customs officer, can you take it in or not? No. In my experience, no. You cannot take it. Uh, uh, Libby, you cannot take it because uh, your doctor in, in Ontario cannot overcome U.S. federal law. The FDA has only approved a single drug, I think it's called the uh, Epidiolex, uh, which is used to treat uh, kids with seizures. So unless it's under 0.3 or it's that particular drug, uh, it doesn't matter who gave it to you and who said you can take it or should take it. That, that prescription does not protect you whatsoever. The federal law will apply as, antiqui- as antiquated as it might be. And, and here's a question. You know, this morning uh, I was talking to a colleague who said she knows people who need it. They have family in the United States, so they send it ahead. And I had a feeling if they were caught doing that, that might be even worse. Um, I'm not sure who you're directing that question at. Uh, uh, Len, but, why uh, don't you take it? Well, if someone, you know, sends, you know, before they go to the border, control substances, what will happen is the Americans will intercept it if they find it. Then they'll put a lookout on for that person at the port of entry. So if you send your drugs ahead of time through the mail or through courier services and they're found, when you go to the border, they'll put you into secondary and say, so what's with this product that you sent down ahead of time and they'll get you to admit that you've used a controlled substance or tried to import it into the United States. That's what I figured. <laughs> That's what I figured. It, it all seems, um, it, it seems almost surreal, I have to say. Uh, I'd like to take a call from Bob in Newmarket in Vancouver. And Bob, you have a story to tell. Yes. Hi. Um, I've been listening to the program. I... When I was 20, I'm now 68, when I was 20 years of age, I was living in Toronto, and um, I uh, was served a search warrant at my home, and a police officer found that I had 2.2 grams, which is about two joints, two small joints of marijuana and a hash pipe. I was charged and convicted of that possession in 1971 and, um, and got a, a record, albeit uh, the record could be cleared as long as I behaved myself for a year and that record would go away. So that's what happened. I have no record of this. Uh, all the old court files are gone now because it happened over 40 years ago. And I applied for a Nexus card uh, to get over the border, um, and I was denied that. One of the questions on the Nexus card says, have you ever been charged? So I honestly answered that question, yes. And uh, I was denied the, the Nexus card. So the next time I went to the border, which was about three years ago, uh, I'd been over many other times but had never 
applied for an access card before. When I when I attempted to go over three years ago, I was uh, pulled into a secondary, and I was um, uh, asked if I had ever been charged or convicted of simple possession of marijuana, and the answer was yes, of course. And I was denied entry. I was fingerprinted. I was told I could, for a lifetime, I could never go in. So I've waited a few years, and just recently I applied for a waiver to uh, get into the United States. And uh, I'm in that process now. It's cost me a couple thousand dollars, 800 for the actual application, U.S. dollars, uh, 585 Canadian, 800. Uh, uh, it's the sorry. opposite. The op- the okay. Opposite and, uh, and where are you at? When do you hear? Well, I... I, I it gave it to them on August the 1st. They tell me it's going to take about six to eight months. So I, I'm sure I'll get a, 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 a waiver, but I've had to go through all of this. Why are uh, you sure you're going to? Let's, um, Bob, uh, we have two expert guests, so let's throw that to them. Uh, Len Saunders, should he be sure he'll get a waiver? Um, I'm not going to say it's going to be rubber stamp, but pretty close. I did this exact same case about six months ago, and, you know, exact same fact pattern. Um, the only thing which I would have recommended uh, to this caller was he should have applied under the new eSafe program. A typical waiver takes about four to six months to come back, but under the new eSafe program, which they're only doing at limited ports of entry, one is Pearson Airport and two are in Buffalo, um, they come back in about a week or two. So that's the only mistake he made, other than applying for a Nexus card, which I would have advised him not to do because these issues come up from old uh, court records. Oh, I, I was I was going to say that if you were getting through, um, you know, maybe applying for the Nexus card where they're going to, you know, look and put you under a microscope wasn't wasn't the best idea. Uh, Len, while I have you on, what is the likelihood of people getting waivers if, uh, you know, they've uh, they've been banned for life for making an investment? Um, so those are the new cases. I did have one denied. I have a few pending. Um, but those are unique cases because of the whole issue with regards to um, aiding and abetting the drug industry, illegal drug industry in the U.S. So those are cases which are kind of new to me, and I've only applied for maybe half a dozen in the last six months to a year. Uh-huh. And, and one was denied? I did have one denied, so we're going to have to reapply. Oh, okay. So it's not final. Not final, no. Uh, Giddy Mammon, what would you say to someone uh, like Bob? Uh, is, just don't apply for the Nexus card. <laughs> yeah, well, that that I think Len uh, Len spoke about that, and that's what I, I completely agree. What I would like to do is congratulate him for actually telling the truth, uh, because had he withheld that, uh, that could have been a misrepresentation, and he could have been banned, uh, and that would have also uh, been an additional aggravating factor. The other thing that I, I just wanted to add is that, you know, uh, every day um, the uh, computer systems that the U.S. Uh, authorities are using are becoming are going further and further and further back in time, uh, long before sort of the computer age started. So I had a very similar case uh, on almost the identical facts with a, a, a physician, a, a specialist uh, here in Ontario, uh, who uh, had been to the States many, many times. And then a drug, uh, a, a simple drug possession uh, from Florida in the early 70s, I think it was 72, came up. And he said, how can that be? Never, I've never been stopped. Well, they're getting access to more and more information. Uh, I had a trucker who made weekly 
drive to the United States for 20, 30 years, and then his record finally popped up. So we're going to see more of these things. And, and again, as I said before, until it gets sort of calibrated and uh, everybody's on the same page again, uh, we're going to hear a lot more of these stories. And it's unfortunate because it costs real money. 585 U.S. is real money. Legal fees are real money, and sometimes they're only renewed, uh, you know, you only get a one-year waiver. So uh, it's uh, it's an arduous process, and it's, uh, you know, I don't wish it on anybody. Bob, uh, thank you very much for sharing that with us, and, and good luck. And I'm glad to hear that it sounds like your waiver's a slam dunk. I sure hope so. It's uh, It's been painful to go through this process. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, uh, we are starting to uh, uh, wrap things up here. Um, Giddy, uh, you know, what do you want to tell people about this whole situation? Well, one of the uh, terrible sort of side effects of this process is that you could be required uh, to sign an authorization um, uh, directing your family physician to release all of your medical records uh, to immigration authorities in the United States to make sure that you don't, you're not suffering from a drug addiction. Now, in this particular case, I didn't hear the caller refer to that, but we've had those, we've had many of those situations. Uh, so not only do you have to uh, disclose all of your medical history, you have to get a, uh, a designated uh, physician uh, to sign off and say that based on the information he has or she has, uh, you don't have an addiction. And this can create uh, enormous problems for people, never mind the embarrassment. Uh, et cetera, of having your information, uh, you know, all over the uh, U.S. immigration uh, uh, database. So that's another very serious thing to consider. Uh, so I would tell people just be exercise tremendous caution. When I travel across the border, I don't even know if oranges are allowed across the border or not. I just don't take them because I'm not sure, and it's not worth researching it. Just leave your stuff at home and uh, buy whatever you need on the other side. Okay, sounds like good advice. And Len Saunders, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, with these recent cannabis oil issues at the ports of entry and with more byproducts, you know, whether it's edibles or oils or lotions becoming available in stores in Canada, I just caution people to be careful what they bring over the border. Anything cannabis-related could result in a lifetime bar. Okay, Uh, yeah, Uh, and uh, it sounds crazy to us, but hey, that's the way it is for the moment. Um, Thank you very much, Giddy Mammon and Len Saunders, for this. Have a great day. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.